You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 29, covering Spock's brain and the Enterprise incident. Hey, look at that, it's season three time. Yeah, lucky, lucky, lucky old us. Remember last uh, last season when we did those two, the, the combination of like the best and worst episodes, I think it was like the Apple and the Doomsday Machine? Mm-hmm. We got that situation here again. Yeah. Where it's one of the stupidest episodes we've ever seen combined with one of the best episodes we've ever yep. seen. So, um, unfortunately... Not just, not just stupid, angrily stupid. Not just stupid, but it's lived on in the minds of, of Star Trek fans and, and even people who casually watch Star Trek alike. Mm-hmm. Like, everyone remembers this one as being the, like, stupid episode. Wasn't there an episode where Spock's brain got stolen? Yes, Hank Hill. As a matter of fact, there was. Or possibly Mr. <laughs> Anderson. Yeah. Um, and in fairness, because I do feel bad that Matt got some of the, the bad episodes the last uh, few shows in a row, I offered him a choice. I said, you could take the good one, you could take the bad one. And he took the bad one. So mm-hmm. this is all you, man. <laughs> take it away with Spock's brain, won't oh, you? Oh, Lord. All right. So after 20 minutes of awkward silence, wherein I questioned if the actors were actually being paid by the syllable this week, the Enterprise encounters a flying box with a pretty lady in it. She then knocks out everyone on board and steals Spock's brain, leaving his body in sick bay in perfect working order. Why the pretty lady did this is never actually explained, since it would probably be easier to just leave his dead body behind. Uh, the Enterprise chases the pretty lady across space in a desperate attempt to fetch Spock's brain back, uh, presumably so that Bones could shove it back into his skull. The Enterprise arrives at the totally real-sounding Draculon 6, and Kirk, Scotty, Chekhov, and a couple of high-pants security guards beam down. There they encounter what the script describes as towering ape-like giants, and what my eyes described as average-heighted men in fake beards and Prince Valiant haircuts. The away team hassles the ape men and quickly learn that they have no concept of women. Uh, they also find a cave, which is really an elevator. Kirk has Bones beam down to the surface, and Bones, br- Bones brings along Spock, who he has, who has been set up with a swank remote control unit and a slightly less swank janitorial uniform. Uh, presumably, if his brain cannot be restored, Starfleet can still use him to scrub the Enterprise's many toilets. The cool people take the cave evader down into the planet, while Chekhov and the high-panted guards warm themselves hobo-style around a heated rock, where they they also open up a can of baked beans. Below the surface of the planet, the away team encounters another pretty lady, who is also about who is also about as smart as a bag of rocks that was dropped on its head as this child. All day. They question her about Spock's brain, and she replies that she doesn't know what that is. So then they argue about it for 40 fucking minutes! And then she knocks them out. The crew awakens wearing belts with fire alarms on them, which make them overact when activated. This devilish device is particularly hard on Kirk, who rolls around on the floor like he's on fire. (laughs) After three years of stupid, repetitive dialogue, Kirk discovers that the pretty lady people have hooked up Spock's brain to their computer because they are a race of people who need to to go to school with a note pinned to their chest so that they don't forget their lunch. Our heroes beat up some guards and call Spock's brain on the communicator. With his help, they eventually find his brain lodged in a computer, because why the fuck not? They also find the pretty lady who stole Spock's brain in the first place, and she turns on the overacting device. The crew almost succumbs, but in the most daring move of his career, Kirk destroys it by overacting so hard that the device short-circuits. 
The pretty lady then pulls a phaser on Kirk, but he disarms her using the incredibly risky technique of taking it out of her hand. Now the tables have turned, and the pretty lady shows everyone a magical colander that makes, every, that makes people smarter for about three hours. This colander, by the way, will later go on to appear in a Calvin and Hobbes strip. They put the magic colander on Bones, and he gains the knowledge to reinstall Spock's brain. The knowledge wears off about halfway through, and Spock talks him through the rest, talks him the rest of the way through. With Spock's brain back in his skull and his head apparently stitched up perfectly, Spock has an incredibly out-of-character moment, and everyone laughs as, tears streaming down my face, I quietly put a gun in my mouth. It's true, folks. I was there. We were we were on a Skype call, and uh, suddenly Matt starts going, Well, that's it for me. I had to talk him down. But, uh, <laughs> oh, God. Thankfully, we got through that. Yeah. This fucking thing. When when I opened the, uh, you know, we, we do put together notes before we start here. Shockingly, we, we do a little uh, show prep. I know. Surprising, I know. Well, uh, fellow podcasters, just, just, what? Show prep? What is, what are you prep talking? and prep? What is prep? <laughs> but uh, I, I saw that Matt had written a considerable amount of words about this episode. I'm like, how? There was maybe five minutes of, of, of action here. Oh, my God. Where did you get all these words? I was so angry. Seriously, this entire episode, there is about six minutes of plot in this entire episode. The entire rest of it is all just people repeating the same fucking information over and over again, and long stretches of silence where no one says anything, and every commercial ends with with a close-up on Spock's stupid empty head! (laughs) Ah! Get it out, man. It's okay. I can't hurt you anymore. They really must have said the title of the episode maybe 30 times, not exaggerating. They just kept saying Spock's brain over and over and over again. But the weird thing was, and, and it, you're not wrong about them, you know, saying the same stuff and being silent. The, the whole rhythm, the whole, it didn't feel like a show exactly. Do you know what I mean? It yeah, felt it like felt weird like and a, disjointed. Yeah, like it felt a, like a dream. Yeah, like a fever dream. Yeah. But, you know, in the worst sense of the word. Like, it was disjointed. There was just a bunch of nonsense. And like, it was like people you know, but they're doing weird things. It don't make any sense. Yeah, that's this. This felt like uh, someone filmed their dream. Yeah, I, I was reading that Gene Kuhn, whom we've in the past referred to as the Good Gene, mm-hmm. um, actually wrote this episode and was so ashamed of it that uh, the the credit I don't and I don't have the name in front of me here, but it's an anagram of his own actual name. <laughs> your your anagrams are showing, Doctor Kuhn. <laughs> Keen Goon, I think, <laughs> or Fool's Gold. <laughs> Iron Sulfide, Lewis Friend. <laughs> um, Nimoy apparently has, has been on record as saying he was also quite embarrassed when they recorded this. Yeah, I can't say that as I blame him, and he got the he got the easiest part of this one. He just had to oh, stand yeah. there. Walk around and look stupid, and then later, you know, do some uh, voiceover stuff, and then in the last five minutes, act completely out of character. Oh, God, that was so fucking stupid. Well, you, you glossed over that. I think we definitely need to go into more detail about exactly how out of character he was. He, they, they get his brain back in. Uh, the one sort of in-character thing which was nice was uh, McCoy's losing the uh, super intelligence that he had briefly, mm-hmm. and and Spock is talking him through the operation. Yeah. And it's, it is, very, for a, a brief moment, one of those great smug Spock Bones moments. Yeah. Where he's like, you can't even do your own fucking job. I don't even have a body right now, and I'm going to tell you how to do it. Yeah, no, and, like, when he starts, like, when he's like, Doctor, if you could please reattach the speech center to my brain, I can probably help you through this. Yeah, blah, ah, oh, thank ah, you. Ah, there we go. <laughs> Let's see, left finger. And then, of course, that went on for 20 minutes. Uh, middle every- finger. Yeah, stay on the middle finger, would you please? We have something to say. Yeah. 
Um, Everything in no, this he, episode took twenty fucking minutes. But he he got back to uh, back to normal, which, as you said, no scars, no like all his hair is in place. Yeah, apparently Spock this, has a flip top head. Yeah, I guess uh, that that technology from the man with two brains is now a reality in in the twenty third century. So good, good to uh, know that science has uh, that science has has gone along that that path. We need men with Make, uh, with uh, removable brains. Makes uh, Doctor McCoy's job a hell of a lot easier. Oh yeah. Doesn't um, quite fit. But then he then he sits straight up and just starts running his mouth yeah. for ten minutes, like Data would. Mm-hmm. Uh, like this this is used to great effect when when we get to Data in Next Gen because he's got all of this knowledge and he loves sharing it and he doesn't understand that it bugs people mm-hmm. and it's funny there. But here it's like what we've known this guy for two seasons now. He doesn't act like this. No, he has. He will sometimes dignity. give you like a well. Sometimes he'll give you like a number you don't want. Yeah. Like if you say this has taken four days, no correction, it has taken three point eight six seven days. Mm. You know something like that. Yeah, but he doesn't have long speeches. That's not really his thing. No, and then just he's, he just sort of wakes up all excited and just like, well, we can analyze the uh, population like this, and then it came around like that. No, honey, shut up. Now you know in in a better written episode, we might assume that oops, you know. Bones forgot to disconnect something, or, yep. you know, he cut the red wire when he should have cut the blue wire, mm-hmm. but they didn't say anything like that. No, I, like, something like that was they in all... the original script I read. Ah, well, see, that would have made sense, but yep. no, they all look look at each other and shrug, like, uh, he's back to normal, well, here we go again. Uh... <sighs> That's our Spock. No, I'm afraid it's not. No. Ma- there was Madam, one... I know Spock. I've worked with <laughs> Spock, and you are no Spock. Well, and that that kind of leads me to um, one of the very few good moments when they first beam down. Um, Chekhov is is filling in for Spock, which he does. I guess he's like the junior science officer, mm. and uh, and and sh- and Kirk has one brief moment where he's like, "Readings, Mister Spock," and then he stops and realizes what he said. Yeah. And just for about five seconds, the episode had like a little touching, tender moment, and then it completely went away. Yeah. And then it's back. It's to like, crazy oh, he misses time. his friend. Yep. <laughs> That's exactly what I liked like. uh, when we were watching this and you were saying, you know, if they stole Scotty's brain, they wouldn't be working this hard to get it back. Yeah, he's, he's charging across the galaxy, knocking shit down and blowing things up because mm-hmm. somebody took his best pal's brain. But yeah, who cares if it had been Sulu or Uhura or, you know. <laughs> I care if it had been me. <laughs> yeah, but who's going to go... Uh... Who's going to go knock over things to get your brain back? Really, honestly. <laughs> oh. Nobody. That's who. <laughs> And I guess, you know, this is the first uh, first episode of a new season, and famously, the show almost got canceled, and one of the stipulations of them coming back was that they had a lower budget. Yeah. Okay, fine. We've seen well, very well-written episodes. One of our very favorite episodes, The Doomsday Machine, was almost entirely on existing sets. Yes. Like, you can pull off an episode, like a great written episode, without a lot of money. You don't need money to make good science fiction. But... So, I mean, that's really no excuse. Mm. Apparently, like, a lot, apparently a lot of the show's budget went towards hair care. <laughs> well, there's that. <laughs> Kirk looked like he hadn't washed his hair for five days. Since, like this, since season two. Yeah, this greasy, solid mess. At one point, you said he, you thought he was a Dapper Dan man. <laughs> that's what it looked like, too. It looked like he was using that circa 1925, like, you know, gross, greasy... Stuff out of a tin that dudes used to put in their hair. Well, let me just slather myself in shoe polish. Yeah. First, let me clean myself, and then let me rub a bunch of grease in my hair. There we go. Which I have just taken care to remove. Yeah. Now I'm looking. Uh, <coughs> and then there's Scotty. 
Oh, God. He's got this big pompadour. He's got a good inch and a half, two-inch shelf of hair. Yep. Sticking, just poofing up now. And it looks like if he left that unchecked, eventually he would look like Marge Simpson. It is just unreal. This, uh... This uh, episode really started to show the let's call it the decline of Scotty. Yeah, you start to look at him and say, because I mean, you look at season one Scotty when James Doohan's a little younger, a little thinner, mm-hmm. and and then you look at say Star Trek six James Doohan. Yeah, they're not the same guy. No, they are not. Everyone else, you can see, okay, well, Shatner got wrinkly and puffy, and DeForest Kelly got shrivelly and wrinkly. And, uh, you know, uh, Nimoy actually aged quite well, and mm. Takei actually aged quite well. But, you know, like, you can generally see the progression, but Scotty's like, whoa. Yeah. And, and yeah, you're, the, the, this season and then, like, the motion picture are sort of like the missing link. Yeah. And you realize how one guy turned into the other guy. It's like, oh. Oh, that's how it started. Yeah. Okay, then. No, he's all, like, puffy, and he's got, like, you can see the big be- like... Where his mustache apparently wasn't shaved off very well. Yeah, uh, I don't know if Dewey had really... one when, he, like, when he wasn't filming Star Trek, but it sure looked like it. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe uh, I mean it's not like he was the Joker and he could paint over it. So you know, <laughs> that would have been which awesome. Was the actually. style of the time. <laughs> that is true. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think we can overstate enough just how profoundly stupid this episode yeah, was. Just um, ugh. I think it was stupider than the Apple, actually. Yep. I don't know if it was worse. No, but it was definitely stupider than the Apple. I would say it was stupider than Cat's Paw. Ooh. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. High praise. Cat's Paw at least existed as, like, like there's, there's a germ of an idea there, which is take things that are scary... You know, in Earth culture, mm-hmm. and and try to extrapolate that into an alien planet. There's, the, I don't know what the idea was here. Take out Spock's brain and power a city with it. Yeah, I, I guess. Okay. Where do you even get that? And you know, look, I'm all for not just making every single episode Earth planet. We've said that before. Yeah. Like, I like when they get unique, and I like when they come up with weird science fiction ideas. But there's weird science fiction ideas, and then there's like. Something your little brother came up yeah, with. Yeah, I'm less interested in them visiting Dumb Planet. Yeah. I mean, you know, the you could argue that taking out, a, like, a super intelligent guy's brain and, and using it as a, you know, as the, the thinking center of some high-tech civilization is a high-concept sci-fi thing, and this is exactly what we've been asking for, but no, it's not. No. <laughs> I'm afraid you're wrong. <laughs> This is the episode that we get if we try to get a Star Trek episode from the devil. <laughs> Do something high concept in science fiction. Oh, is that what you want? <laughs> Very well. Hey, you actually do a pretty good robot devil. Oh, thank you. Not bad. All right. Anything else about this? Or are we ready to put it, it behind us? Let's go on I mean, to a good episode. We'll, we'll revisit briefly for your uh, quote and so forth, but... Uh, I think it's almost time to put this behind us and, yeah. and move forward. Um, yeah, as it turned out, uh, one of my another one of my top five episodes uh, this week, uh, the Enterprise incident, which the initial premise of the episode seems a bit flawed because we're expected to believe Kirk giving impulsive orders and being a jerk to his underlings is somehow out of character. Moving the Enterprise into the Romulan neutral zone on a whim just doesn't seem all that weird for this guy. So yeah, as we'll learn in greater detail in next gen, uh, the neutral zone should be this empty buffer region between the Federation and the Romulan Empire, sort of a really large borderline. But any time, and I mean any time, 
A Starfleet ship puts so much as a toe over that line into the allegedly neutral space. Like, 50 million Romulans decloak and start making threats every time. This is, I think, the first occurrence as three unbelievably awesome-looking Romulan ships, assuming you're watching the restored versions like we are, appear and start making threats. Kirk and Spock are beamed to the lead ship in exchange for two Romulan prisoners, and they meet the infamously unnamed female Romulan commander, who is a formidable presence and not incidentally kind of hot in a milfy sort of way. And here's where the episode takes a turn from kind of cool interstellar political intrigue with a predictable twist to I honestly did not see that coming. Female Romulan commander is seduced by Spock. That's right, this is all an elaborate Starfleet ploy to nab the Romulan's new cloaking device, with Kirk doing all the heavy lifting and Spock being the smooth one. The fact that female Romulan commander is powerful and intelligent makes this more believable, too, because, well, let's face it, we know the sort of woman Kirk goes for. You can't just trade Kirk for Spock in a story like this. You need a woman you actually respect if he's going to be doing the seducing. Meanwhile, Kirk gets Bones to surgically alter him to look like a Romulan, though he looks more like a local market UHF Dracula to me, and he tiptoes around knocking out guards and not getting the girl, which must have absolutely killed Shatner. Anyway, they escape with the cloaking device, which the Federation will apparently never actually use again. The important thing is our brave heroes barged into the enemy-adjacent territory unprovoked, had sexy but apparently insincere Vulcan finger sex with a high-ranking enemy officer, and then made off with their stuff. And this is all considered perfectly reasonable and justifiable behavior. Ah, the Cold War. (laughs) As I was writing this and summing it up, I'm like, wait a minute. These are the guys we're cheering for. They're kind of dicks. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> they just ran into, like, their neighbor's house and stole their stuff, hey, and, uh, yay! Hey, listen, we needed to keep the Russians from getting the cloaking yeah. device or something. No, but, I mean, that was that was the, you know, we're into 1968, 69 at this point. That was definitely the, the way people thought back Oh, then. yeah, absolutely. Was, you know, preemptive strikes and lots of, you know, spy stuff and... And don't get me wrong, like I said, this is one of my top five episodes. great episode. It's awesome. This is, it it draws on a lot of that stuff that we've liked in, uh, like, the Corbin White Maneuver and, like, the Doomsday Machine. A lot of that um, tension in space. There's not a wacky planet involved. Most of it's involved in uh, pursuing a ship or, you know, trying to outwit uh, an opposing captain or, Mm -hmm. you know, stuff like that. I think that's what this show does best. Yeah. I think whenever you keep the action mostly on the bridge... And there's a lot, you know, there's that whole Cold War, like, um, chess game stuff going on. Yeah. The the whole, like, who blinks first and the whole, you know, you got sort of like a Cuban Missile Crisis thing where every move could end in horrible, you know, war. Yeah. I think this show really channels that vibe really well, and this is one of those great examples of that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, the Romulans are the perfect villains for that kind of thing, you know? Like, they sum it up sort of perfect, like, like, perfectly. Well, and and the problem I've always had with the Romulans, it's not that I don't like them, it's that they've always been sort of ill-defined, and I still feel like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and mind you, I didn't watch all of Voyager, but I don't think there were a ton of Romulans in that. I am betting no. And I didn't watch all of Enterprise, but uh, one of my big complaints was that there were no Romulans in that, and that was set during the when the Romulan War was supposed to have happened. Dear Enterprise, need more Romulans, underline. Well, I mean, I... I have the, uh, the, the, you know, the dorky chronology book, and if you look at the time period that uh, that Enterprise takes place in, there's almost nothing listed there. There's almost no, you know, references from other Star Trek things saying things happened here. Yeah. The only thing that's there is the Earth fought in the Romulan War. I'm like, ooh, that's what this show's going to be about. Awesome. No, it isn't. And uh, never happened. 
But or if it happened, it happened in like one or two episodes. It wasn't like a big overarch. No, I'm thing. pretty sure it didn't because there's like a book series that takes place after Enterprise. It's about the Romulan War. Uh, I just assume they my, never got around to it. My my whole thing was on the on Next Gen. I made a pass through that again recently, mm-hmm. um, and we'll obviously be doing it when we get to it on this show. But there's really they're there from time to time. There's one season where they pop up a lot, which is uh, season three, I think. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, you don't really learn much about them. You don't really know much about them. They're always referred to as this big, great, looming threat, but you never get to know them the same way we get to know the Klingons in Next Gen or the Cardassians in Deep Space Nine or the Borg in Voyager. Putting aside my distaste for that, they did at least go into some, you know, like, here's one of our main villains, here's what they're all about. Yeah. And uh, the the Romulans, I always felt like, were this great thing that we never got a ton of information about, so there was always little bits and pieces. And so when we had that movie, we're suddenly... Oh yeah, there's there's two Romulan homeworlds, and one of them's full of monsters. <laughs> and you stop and think about it, and it's like, well, I've been given no information to contradict this. Like, uh, I guess that works. <laughs> yeah, uh, we also have orcs just hanging out. <laughs> they look like Nosferatu. All of them do. No, why would we talk about that? Ever. Ever. In 30 years. What, why, what sense does that make? That? Also, and, they're but, psychic. Uh, in, in this episode, at least, you get some of that classic, like, I like the uniforms, I like the, the look of them, and, you know, making... We finally get a definitive statement that, yes, they are descended from the same species as Vulcans. Yeah, that, that was uh, that was cool. I thought that uh, that had been only picked up in the Expanded Universe stuff afterwards. Yeah, me too. But uh, And I think it's one of those deals where DC Fontana is the one who wrote this, and she is just great. We've said that before. Yep. Probably the single best writer from, from this era. Absolutely. And, um... And, you know, not uh, it's not insignificant that she's a woman because and, and didn't use her real name like she used initials because it wasn't really common. You know, if she'd put Dorothy Fontana on there, she probably wouldn't have, like, sold as many scripts. Right. It's just one of those things. It was the 60s. But uh, so, I mean, that's that's uh, that's admirable as well that she was man. And she managed to write the best stuff while simultaneously sort of, you know, doing it almost in the closet kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But um it seems like she kind of cared about she she saw the the formation of this tapestry this this continuity and she's like well they look the same why don't we say this yeah you know why why don't we start weaving this 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 continuity together instead of just oh well it's coincidence they look like Vulcans no instead she says they're they're from the same and that way later on down the road we can pay that off with others yeah absolutely um and the book the Star Trek book that I go on and on about which I've recently reviewed on our blog uh, Spock's World mm-hmm. actually goes into that a little bit. Yep. Which is nice. Um and then of course in Next Gen when Spock is uh trying to reunite them. It's kind of a nice payoff yes. to that whole thing. But yeah, it's it was it was friggin' fantastic. I loved Female Romulan Commander. Yep. Female Romulan there Commander is... was fucking awesome. I like I said I re- we really respected her. We yep. really admired her, but it also wasn't weird that Spock was trying to seduce her. No. It was all, you know, like strong female character, also kind of hot. Yeah, and again, like, this is another example of just, this is a show where there's no there's no room in your world of starship captains for, for women. Well, you know, the Romulans seem to think it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> and she, you know. And she was great. She was. She even had, like, a little, like, short skirt, and it didn't look demeaning no. to her. It, she, she pulled it off with, like, uh, dignity mm-hmm. somehow. I don't get it. And there was maybe, you know, two inches before I could see her underwear, and it was still, like... Well, right. Barry had had to say it would have been, like, one inch before the underwear. <laughs> Probably. 
But uh, she was, was never Jane's named. In fact, they made a point of <laughs> his visionary vision of a visionary. Um, but they they even made a point of, uh, you know, I have a first name, and she whispers it to Spock, and it's kind of this sexy yeah. little thing. Like, it's it's not like we didn't catch her name. They didn't give one, and they deliberately right. didn't give one. And I'm not sure why that is, but it doesn't really matter. They just, they, it was it was fantastic. It was, everything about yep. it was great. I, I absolutely adored this episode. Yep. I, um, as stupid as Spock's brain was, this was exactly the opposite awesome. Yes. Unfortunately, I also know, knowing what I know about season three, that I think we have one or two like this oh. left. And the other 20 are going to be more like Spock's oh, brain. Oh, god damn it. And we keep saying this, but that's because I really want to brace people for the fact that we're going to be a bit angry for the next few weeks. Until we get... Uh, the animated series is probably going to be about in the middle. I don't hate those, but mm. I don't love them. But until we get to the movies, there's not going to be a lot more that we're crazy about. That's just... We're going to have a dark oh. patch here for a while. So yeah. brace yourselves. And th this is why I fear doing Enterprise, because... You know. As far as we know, that has no good episodes. Yeah, and and I, we could end up being pleasantly surprised, but I doubt <laughs> it. The thing is, that we, we try to walk that line. We've said this before. We try to be respectful and like it, but also make fun of it. And, and if, if we're only being mean to it all the time, that turns into a different kind of thing. Yeah. And not so, the kind of thing we really want to do. No, there's, there's plenty of yeah. that. But... Uh, not, not really our thing. But, you know, maybe maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I don't know everything about Star Trek. We're learning. Both of us are learning quite a lot once we actually watch the episodes. Uh, like, a lot of the assumptions we made based on Expanded Universe stuff, on episode guides, has ended up being not entirely yeah. right when we watch what's in, what's in the actual episodes. So we could be wrong. Maybe there's some gold that we don't know yep. about. Maybe it's on Cowboy Planet. <sighs> there's gold in that there Cowboy Planet. <laughs> Prospector Planet. <laughs> Captain, we're coming up on uh, Planet Minor 49er. Do concern it. <laughs> Universal Translator has no words for this, sir. <laughs> the Klingons have been claim uh. jumping, sir. <laughs> Dag nabbit! <laughs> All right, you got anything else mm -hmm. on this one? Like, like I said, it's kind of hard to be funny about something that's just that's so good. good. Yeah. No, I think that's it. So. All right, uh, so... Uh, let's, let's talk about Spock's brain one more time. All right. So, in the future. In the future. In the future. Ugh, this episode will still be around while history's greatest thinkers will be long dead. Where, I ask you, is the sense in that? <laughs> what kind of a future do you call that? Shot in the, shot in the brain over a matter of 80 quatloos. <laughs> All right, for the Enterprise incident, in the, future, in the future, using only a household lamp and leftover scraps from a psychotic space probe, you can construct a device that will make your starship effectively invisible. It's a good thing. I just, I kind of love uh, when Kirk actually steals it. He, it's this big sort of ball thing that he just sort of runs off with. Yeah, and I was reading DC Fontana wished, like she wanted it to be the size of like a pocket watch. Yep. And for some reason, whoever did the set design said, oh, no, it needs to be huge. This is the 60s. Nothing small. <laughs> Computers the size of rooms. Rooms the size of mansions. <laughs> I thought you were going to say rooms the size of men. <laughs> yes. What? No. Exactly. <laughs> they have a fight triangle wins. 
Uh, you got a quote of the episode? Yeah, here we go. Uh, this episode, this is Kirk and the pretty lady filling as much time as humanly possible with both compelling arguments and dramatic musics. You must help us. You must restore with that knowledge what you have taken. No. You must put back what you have taken. I will not betray my people. The controller will stay. Yeah, I forgot about the music. The music was also quite overpowered. Well, look, when there's that much silence, they need they need to fill it with something. Yeah, because otherwise, you know, audiences of the late '60s might think that their television sets were uh, malfunctioning. So, <laughs> also when also when Spock's when Spock's brain is stolen, uh, he loses the ability to, be, to see color. So <laughs> then the show goes black and white. Everyone gets <laughs> up, walks over, and starts banging on their TVs. <clears throat> Yeah, unacceptable. Incidentally, this episode was directed by Andy Kaufman. <laughs> uh, my quote of the episode was, uh, as as female Romulan commander is taking Spock back to her quarters, uh, he has this great little uh, sort of sarcastic aside. Will you join me for dinner? I am honored, Commander. Are the guards also invited? Which uh, I, I love, you know, I love when he gets to be the funny one. Yep. Not when he breaks character, like at the end of Spock's brain, but when he's actually just funny and also still in character. Yeah, basically. The, the, the very sort of dry deadpan stuff. I, I, I'm a fan of that. So, that's yeah. all for this week. That's it for... Oh, God. That's it for all all good and hope in the world. Mm-hmm. Now, I, um, I am a fan. I know the Folian web is decent, and that's yep. coming up in a few weeks. Um, apart from that, I honestly don't know. But tune in... Like, Tune in next week when we look at more shit. Actually, next week we'll, we will have a guest. Uh, we mentioned this last time Bob was on. He requested an episode early this season, so uh, you get more Bob again. Uh, oh, we're doing yeah. three next week. So, oh, yeah, uh, Kirok. <laughs> yeah, that's a good choice. He chose Kirok and uh, Irish Gav, who we also have offered one episode per season. Uh, one of the, the series finale where Kirk swaps bodies with a lady. <laughs> so look forward to both of those. Yeah. All right, that's all for us for this week, so uh, we'll be back soon. See you, folks. The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar Watt and Matt Robotham, copyright 2011. Please don't sue us, we're just doing this for fun.